Welcome to the Sales Influence Podcast, where we talk about finding the why and how people buy. I'm your host, Victor Antonio. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for lending me your ears. And if you're watching me on a video platform, thank you for lending me those eyeballs. Today, I got a special guest. Ooh, it's all about thriving with this lady. It is all about thriving. Please help me welcome Meredith Elliott Powell to the Sales Influence Podcast. Welcome, Meredith. Thank you. I am looking forward to being here. I am a big fan. So excited to be on the show. Well, we met briefly, I think it was briefly, right? At the yeah. outbound conference that Jeb put together with Anthony Inarino and Mark Hunter. And you were one of the speakers. How did you like that event, by the way? I thought that event was incredible. I, I don't know about you, but of the conferences I speak at, I think that's probably one of the best put on conferences, not only from the way they set it up, but from the speakers there and the material. And even the audience was so electric. Mm. Aged. I mean, just from start to finish, it was incredible. We had we had a beautiful blend of everything, different types of businesses, different types of speeches. Uh, uh, who was it? the one that intimidated me? Can I tell you this between us? Yeah. The one that intimidated me was Colleen Francis. I was like, yeah. I, had, <laughs> I had to follow her. And I'm like, the night before, I'm like, please don't stink, Victor. Whatever you do, do not stink. Because this, you know, because I, I had, I had binged watch her videos. Yeah. Like, so when Jeb said, okay, uh, you're going to follow Colleen. And I'm like, oh, oh, what? I said, okay, let me go look at her stuff. And I'm like, oh man. And so in my mind, I have a lot of content. So I said, I don't want to give her, you know, do anything she's doing. So I had to kind yeah. of predict. And so, yeah, so that was my intimidating moment. But anyway, it was, it was a great <laughs> event. Don't tell Kali. It's between us, right? It's yes, between us. Yeah, well, but she intimidates me, too, so that's okay. She's great speaker. So, Meredith, let them know a little bit about your background. You know, you know, talk to me. Let them know who you are. Yeah, well, so I started out in the travel and tourism industry. I went to healthcare, then I went to financial services. And what I realized was I don't enter industries to take jobs. I enter industries because every time I started in that industry, they were going through extreme change and times of turmoil. So when it hit my 40th birthday, which unfortunately was a long time ago, mm -hmm. I decided that 40 was an amazing age because you're old enough to be taken seriously. You got a little gray on the temples. Mm -hmm. But you're young enough that if you don't want to start a business, if it doesn't work out, you can run back into the corporate arena. And I started my business as a business strategist. I mean, that's really my passion is helping organizations figure out how to take their businesses to the next level. But when 2008 happened, if we all kind of remember 2008, it was kind of a bummer for everybody else. But those are breakout times for me. And I wrote my first book and uh, I became a speaker and it really took off from there. And luckily for me, we are constantly going through times of change and turmoil. And I do. Um, I am a keynote speaker primarily, but I make my living also as a strategist and a business coach. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, millennials, pay attention, millennials. Yeah, 2008, we went through some yeah. stuff. That was yeah. stuff, wasn't it? That was like a crash. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I think back, and what we're going through now, it's, you know, again, I, I'm not saying I'm brushing it off because it's very a difficult time, and I'm going to ask you about that. But I, but I think we've once you've been through the storm, you've been tempered a little bit, you know how to do it. In one of your videos, you highlighted, because we have very similar experiences. We're both speakers, right? Uh, I think you sell change. That's what you sell, right? You, whether it's mindset, attitude, you know, adjustment, business strategy, that's what you sell. And you said that your business, you know, after the pandemic hit, you know, boom, everything went away. Talk to me about that adversity yeah. and then that whole, we use the word pivot, but it's a good word. Let's, how'd you pivot? 
Yeah, people people hate the word, but it is it is exactly what you need to do. I mean, I'm probably like most people listening to this podcast. I mean, I started 2020 off amazing. You know, I mean, like there you are, you're having a great year. The first quarter is unbelievable. And then in one week, the week of March 9th, not only did all of my revenue disappear, every speaking engagement I had on the books, mm-hmm. but how I make my living. I mean, I get on planes, I travel around the world, I engage with thousands of people. So I did what most people do and I freaked out. I mean, you know, the first thing I did was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to sell everything I own on eBay. You know, could I still deliver pizza? Will somebody hire me? And then I got mad. I got, you know, I got. By the way, just that visual of you delivering pizza makes no sense, but go ahead. I'm not beneath it. Just know that. Um, and then I thought to myself, you know, I got angry. I hmm. thought this isn't fair. Why are they doing this to my business? And then, thank goodness, I slipped into action and I didn't know where to go and I didn't know what to do. But I had been working on this book where I'd been researching companies that had been around for over 200 years and I'd written a formula. And this is what cracked me up. It's like I expected to put that formula in a book and sell it to other people. I never thought I'd have to apply it to my own business. Mm. But I ate my own dog food, drank my own Kool-Aid. And by June, I completely turned my business around and I sit, you know, um, close to the end of the year, I finished off just basically as strong as I'd started. I love it. That's And that's what I wanted to talk to you about, really. That's Because for me, it was the same thing. It was like, I remember telling my wife, I said, we're done. I just come back from Puerto Rico. Because, you know, the first quarter is always the best quarter, right? Yeah. And I and then we, I came back, it hit, and then it's full shutdown. And then I literally said to my wife, I think I'm done for the rest of the year. And she goes, what do, you, what do you mean you're done? I go, oh, I'm done. And sure enough, the cancellation started rolling in, right? And then, boom, you just pivot. You just create new. So I want to, you know, so all of a sudden you you, you do this research for this book, and it's your. I think it's nine step program to thriving in uncertainty, right? So I got this because yeah. I, re- I, re- I was like, oh, this is gonna be so good talking about this. So good, and so let's begin with. I'm gonna take a step back because you said something interesting. See, I actually listen to some of your stuff. You said I hate the word uncertainty, or at least that yeah. was the word you were focused on. Talk to me about the word uncertainty and contextualize that for me. Yeah. So I, um, you know, it was interesting. A couple of years ago, um, I became obsessed with the word. And I bet you're going to have had this experience too. Like, you know, we go in, we talk to businesses and organizations. And one of the typical questions we ask is, how's business? And at that time, even, you know, before any time that you're going to have a big shift in the market, you usually have a hot market, a really good marketplace. And so people were saying to me, oh my gosh, business is good. Business is great. But oh, this uncertainty is if we're all waiting for the ball to drop, right? And it's going to be that thing that comes out of the sky and just prevents our business from growing. And doing what we do for a living, I mean, I started to think, why is uncertainty always a negative? Why is it always a bad thing? And what if we flip the script on that? What if we started to think about uncertainty as a positive? What if you actually Mm. needed it to show up every so many years and transform your business to another level? And that's what put me on a mission to try to find companies that had done that. And let me tell you, there aren't, that actually use uncertainty as a strategic advantage. And I uncovered nine companies that have been in business since late 1700s, early 1800s, and they're still in business thriving today. My favorite thing about them is six of the nine are family owned. Interesting. So I'm not talking about big companies. I'm talking about, and this formula can apply to any size organization, but you have to follow the methodology. But Meredith, Meredith, my audience is wondering, 
But Victor, how is it possible, Meredith, how is it possible that you can put a positive spin on uncertainty? <laughs> you know, I said this about um, about keynote speakers, because a, a lot when this economy started to shift, people were like, well, I'm just going to, you know, I'll just wait until, until things pop back. In fact, I did an informal poll of 500 of my followers, and I said, when uncertainty <clears throat> hits, to the sound of the gunfire and take action? Or do you take a wait and see approach? Mm -hmm. Only 24% of people responded and said, I run to the sound of the gunfire and mm -hmm. take action. And that told me that, oh my gosh, I got 76% of the people out there stuck. Mm -hmm. And the way to get unstuck is to find the opportunity and uncertainty. I have been doing this long enough to know that when things go sideways, there's always a path forward and always a way through. But you, for most people, they need to have a path and they need to have a set of strategies. And I feel like that's what we do for a living. Mm. We jump in the ocean first, we jump off the cliff, we deal with the turmoil, and then we come back and help people figure out how to do it easier. That's a good, that's a good way of looking at it. I, you know, I think the, I, I love the, when you said uncertainty, I always use certainty and anxiety as my balance scale. We yes. try to increase certainty, reduce anxiety, right? So when you said uncertainty, I go, I get that because I think people get stuck. And there's always those yes. three modes, right? Fight, flight, or freeze. And we see a lot of freezing going on. And, and so as you're working with companies, before we get into your nine steps here, you know, what are some of the like high-level takeaways that you could use to reduce uncertainty? Maybe one or two cool tips. Yeah, one of my one of my favorite is, and I work with a lot of my clients because I've had a lot of high-powered people be stuck in today's. That's fascinating. Um, uh, fascinating. It, fascinating that they're high-level and they're stuck. I know. Oh. Um, I'm so I'm so passionate about it now. I've hired a research firm to go even deeper on the research that mm. I did because I'm really fascinated with uncertainty and why some people react the way they do, and some people it is just you know on the word go. But one of my favorite is to um, is to have people really do a huge brain dump. I mean, I think if you're going to get past the anxiety and get past the fear, you need to get it all out. So every single thing that you're worried about, just brainstorm it out and then divide it into what you can control and what you can't control. First of all, you get a huge release just speaking it and worrying about it. Um, I've got a client that's in the event space. Their entire business is built off doing soccer games, basketball games, cheerleading events for all the major um, organizations. And they book all the hotel rooms and they book all the food. And so their business model completely blew up. Mm -hmm. Well, they were amazing right at the beginning. They furloughed their employees. They got their PPP. They were just doing everything they needed to do. But then the CEO got stuck. Hmm. I mean, she just hit the wall because once she had calmed the, you know, the waters, she started to think, what if events never come back? What if we keep having COVID mm -hmm. into two and three? And she got so stuck. We just walked her through this process and then focused her back on everything she could control. Yeah. This is all the stuff we can't do anything about. Now we're going to go back and we're going to focus on the things that we can control. And I love that because there's a, there's a lot of value, real like rich principles in what you're saying. And let me just kind of highlight this for people who are listening. When you talk about a brain dump, it's getting everything out outside your brain. And then it's almost like you have to label it. Okay. That's that problem. That's that problem. And by labeling, we reduced some anxiety, right? Yes. And then we use the, the Stephen Covey, right? Circle of influence and circle of concern. What you can control, what you can't control. And I love that. I, and, I, and I think that's it. You got to put it out there. I said, what am I afraid of? And then it, 
what's the next step? Okay, I've done this brain dump with Meredith. And I, is this the time you want to get into the nine-step program? Should we do it right now? Sure. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Let, let's go. So here I am, a CEO. I'm freaking out. Meredith, I'm freaking out right now. <laughs> I'm freaking out. My revenues are going down. I'm just afraid of what, you know, I can see kind of stabilizing, but help me, Meredith. Put me on the couch yeah. and help me. All right. I will push you on the couch and I will move you right. forward. First, the first thing that I want you to understand is that take a deep breath because um, when I was doing the research on the book, it was actually difficult to find information about how these businesses came through a pandemic because they saw the world wars and the Great Depression as far bigger issues than the pandemic. Mm. So that's really where I learned the lessons. I mean, imagine there you are at the beginning of the world war and you don't even know if we're going to win. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so imagine the level of anxiety around that. So you've got to begin by uh, by having a relentless vision. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean a vision that you have that you hang on the wall. I mean, a relentless vision, a vision that you keep front and center and you think about all the time. There's a great story about a group of Boy Scouts that went whitewater rafting in Northern California. And the day the week before they were supposed to go, the river got so high, the guide said, No, the boys begged and pleaded till the guide gave in and the guide gave in and said, you can go on this trip as long as you sit through a three hour training program. So these kids sat down and for three hours, the guide talked about the obstacles, the rocks and all the things they would encounter. But she spent three times as much time talking on what she called the positive point, which I call the relentless vision, where you're going, because she said I need to make you aware of the high water and the rocks, but if I don't immediately focus you on the positive point, Mm -hmm. then your boat is going to hit that rock and it's not going to get any further. But if I focus you on that positive point, your boat will go there. It's the same in our businesses. I tell my clients and I make my CEOs, I want you to write that vision out and I want you to look at it first thing in the morning. I want you to look at it at lunch and I want you to look at it before you go to bed. I want you to start every meeting you have with your team with that vision and I want you to end every meeting with that vision because it isn't until I can walk into your company and I ask the janitor where your company is going that you can say, that's when you are going to begin the process of emerging success. So, and, I, and I love that. Tell me if you would agree. You, you would probably know best. So, so simplicity of message is one, what the vision is, right? And I think the other one, it has to, I don't know how to define this, Meredith, but it has to like pull you in that direction. Yes. I mean, I don't know if you can add any flavor to that. It has to like pull you, call you. Yeah, it's really got to be, I think to pull you, to call you, it's got to be visual. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to paint the picture with that. You've got to say, this is what our business is going to look like. This is who we're going to serve. And this is the difference we've we've got to have made. There has to be purpose Mm. under it. People want to get in, they want to work hard, but they need a belief that this is going somewhere. And they need a belief that you as the leader see the other side. And if you do that, you know, you, you think about like you think about a president talking us through, you know, war times. They talk about victory. They talk about the, you know, coming out successful on the other side because we need to see that vision. Mm. It's the same our company. Don't let your here's what I need to see. Here's what I need to see as far as leadership. I need to know that when that plane does this. It takes a dip. I, I look at the stewardess or the guy, and I look at him, and I go, is he panicking? No, he doesn't look panicked. I'm not panicked either. <laughs> We've all done that, right? That's right. Go, That's right. Not, not a big deal. But you're, you know, you're leading so beautifully into the second strategy because it's, it's the moment that you see the vision. Okay, you're headed that direction. But we can't be Pollyanna. I mean, we are, we are in tough 
times. And we are always going to come in and out of good times and tough times. So you can't ignore the changes happening in the marketplace. But here's the problem with change is even if you hire the best experts and the best gurus and all the big models with it, people are helping you deal with change once change shows up. Mm -hmm. It's too late once change shows up. So the second strategy is that you've got to condition yourself for change. You've got to be one step ahead of the change coming in the marketplace because change is like a muscle. And the more you build it, the more you work it, the more you talk about it, the more resilient and stronger you'll be. And I've got a tool about that. I, I was going to ask you, yeah, for the condition of change, so, so people go, yeah, yeah, I got that. I know that. I got to be ready for change. But what, what does that require? I mean, what does that require? Yeah, it requires um, you getting your head out of your business and focusing on the shifts coming in the marketplace. I've got a tool that I call a skeptic. Mm -hmm. And I advise my clients that every 30 days, I want them to get their team together and brainstorm around these words. Skeptic stands for society, competition, economics, politics, technology, industry, and customers. So you just brainstorm around those words. Um, I'll repeat it. Mm -hmm. Society, competition, economics, politics, technology, industry, and customers. So Victor, let's assume we work for the same mm -hmm. company and we set aside these 30 minutes. You and I are just going to have a conversation and take some notes. You know, what do you see happening with competition in the marketplace? What, what changes do you see happening in our industry? How are our customers mm -hmm. changing? I love it. And then once you take you just step back and you look at it and you say, what do we need to pay attention to? It's going to get you in a mode where you're seeing the trends and the changes coming in the marketplace before you have to react to them. It's going to get you out in front of the things that are happening. And even if you don't guess the right things, you're still conditioned for it. You're still ready and you can, you're far more nimble. I, I love that because it almost creates a top of mind awareness. Every 30 days you're talking about it. Then even when you leave that meeting, you're like scanning the horizon for any of those yes. triggers. And that, that's what I love about that. So I think that's a great strategy. I never looked at it that way. Nicely done. And you know what? What I love that's so powerful about it is that um, I'm sure you have this experience too. We go in to work with CEOs and leaders. And one of the biggest things they say is I can't get my team to change. They struggle with mm -hmm. it. Well, you got to condition them for them. Get, them. get them in shape for it. See, if you make them part of that brainstorming process, then they're going to be saying, hey, Victor, we need to think about this. You know, we need to change our sales strategy because nobody's coming into our stores anymore. It's not you telling them what to do. They're anticipating. Isn't that always interesting when leaders go, I don't know why they won't change. Uh, you might want to go back to step number one, right? Let's, let's get the vision clarified so everybody gets it and then it won't be so hard. And so, okay, so take me to number three. I, I got a vision. I'm conditioned, working out for change. Talk to me about three. So, and again, I, I love that you're noticing that too, because these do work in order. They have a compounding okay. effect. Um, and so the a three is that once you understand the challenges and the issues in the marketplace, you know what's in front of you, then you have to decide how you're going to solve those problems. And strategy number three is about that. And in the middle of um, any level of uncertainty, you have to understand that competition becomes collaboration. You need to stop thinking about competing against people and you need to start thinking about collaborating with them. When you get into high levels of uncertainty, um, the problems you face are too big for one organization, one person or one industry mm -hmm. to solve. 
all about pooling your resources together. Like I've got a client right now that um, is in the healthcare space and their business has exploded, but their um, sales team is not very good at selling virtually. In fact, they're terrible at it. So I connected them with another client of mine who's in the technology space who sells into the restaurant industry. Well, my technology company is helping my healthcare company get up to speed quickly on virtual sales. And my healthcare company is helping my technology company get into the healthcare space, a space that is much quote unquote healthier uh, right now. It's not that you couldn't figure it out on your own, Mm -hmm. but it's that by collaborating and pulling resources together, you're going to get to market much faster and with using much less resources Mm. and time and, and decreasing your expenses in an uncertain marketplace is definitely the way. Those to go. are the big pluses, but but I think it's interesting. You're highlighting something that I rarely hear people talk about, which is how do you find these partnerships, these collaboration pieces? Now, giving tough times, it's like now you're motivated. The incentive is there, and then you start realizing, well, maybe maybe this is really going to work out. And I and I love that open box thinking, right? Out of the box, just open box. Look what we see above us. So I love that. All right. I'm looking for some collaborations. I found me some good partners. What am I doing now to reduce my uncertainty? Help me, Meredith. I'm still drowning here. (laughs) So so now you really kind of got to vet those partners. Um, This is my favorite strategy of the nine because I never saw this one coming. And I think that it deals with the biggest challenge when it comes to uncertainty and people freezing is how do you make decisions in the middle of an uncertain marketplace? How do you know who to collaborate with or where to spend your time, energy, and resources? And every single company that I researched made decisions the exact same way in the middle of an uncertain marketplace. And the way they made decisions was according to their core values. So you have to really know your core. You have to be able to answer the question, who do we want to be in the middle of this crisis? And who do we want to be when this crisis is over? And then align to those core values. You use your core values as a litmus Mm -hmm. test, like a North Star, like assuming that I, you know, want to build a new sales platform and I'm looking for partners to do that with because I understand I've got to collaborate with. Well, I'd look at those partners and I may have five or six. I'd run them back through my core values and the ones that most align with my core values are the ones that I ought to be doing business with. I love that, you know, there's no right way to know to make a decision. It's hard because nobody knows Mm -hmm. what's going to happen. But if you go back to your core, it's like this beautiful little inner voice that is just going to guide you through the ocean and somehow you're going to emerge successful. I like like what you're saying. You're reminding me. I had a chat with Frank Bisgatis, wrote the book Customer-Centric Selling. And when he talked about partnerships, you're just reminding me of it. He said something that was like simple, powerful. He goes, Victor, when I when I decide whether I want to work with somebody, I just ask myself one simple question. I was like, yes. He said, is it an opportunity or is it a distraction? And it's another way of looking at what you're saying, because if, if it's an opportunity, it typically lines up with your core values. If it's a distraction, you're trying to force something that doesn't really fit. What do you think of that? I mean, it's an interesting statement, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I was doing a um, uh, was doing a speaking engagement for a large manufacturer um, at the at the beginning of the year, and and the CEO really got down to this. When things became uncertain, he sort of threw everything out that they were doing. They're big into research and development. They're big into um, you know customer service, and he got worried. He wanted to cut the expenses to the bone, but then he got back and he said wait a minute, this isn't working. It just isn't working. And at their core, who they wanted to be was a leader in the industry. 
They wanted to be successful in the long term, and they wanted to secure the safety and the health of their employees and their customers. And it wasn't until he started to go back through that litmus mm -hmm. that company turned around. And it's, it is exactly what you're saying. It, everything that aligns with those three things for that CEO is an opportunity. Anything that doesn't is a distraction. And it just is, there's something so freeing about making decisions when you are clear on who you yes. are. By the way, that's, I, I think it was, I think it was Disney, like the actual Walt Disney said, uh, decisions are easy when ethics are clear, something like that. I don't know if he's the yeah. one who said it. Somebody yeah. said that. But uh, uh, that's exactly what you're saying. And I, I think people don't get that sometimes, that it yeah. reduces your anxiety. My word's anxiety, by the way. Yours can be uncertainty. I'll take anxiety. Yeah. I reduce yeah. my anxiety because once you know what you want, you're not guessing at it. And it's almost like your GPS. Right. You know where you're going, man. I don't know. We're going this way. Yes. So I love it. All right. We vetted partners. Take me to five. All right. So five is all about growing the business because you can grow in the middle of, um, of an yes. uncertain. Let's talk money, about. Meredith. Let's talk money. <laughs> and I am going to show you the path to money um, right now. So the way that these businesses have grown in the middle of uncertainty is by focusing on their existing customers and believing that their existing customers would be the path to new business. I call it securing your base. But the very first thing that you've got to do is to reach out and talk to your existing customers for two reasons. Number one is they need to know you're here. They need to know that you care. But the other is when you ask them open-ended questions like, tell me how things are going. What are the shifts in your industry? How are things going with your customers? If you just be quiet and listen, they're about to give you gold. Because they are not only going to tell you the problems and solutions you need to be focused on, but they're going to give you the language you need to use. And those are going to make you relevant in today's marketplace. The only way to emerge successful and grow in the middle of uncertainty is to be relevant. What you sold before a shift in a marketplace cannot be what you sold after. And don't try to sit in a room with your sales and marketing team and try to come up with the right tagline or anything. Talk to your existing customers. Can I just tell you a quick story from the book, which is just, I just love this story. Um, I'm just going to yeah, jump I mean, in and do it. Way, it's I, I'm always surprised when people come on this show and they go, can I tell you a story? I'm like, don't tell me if you're going to tell me a story. Just tell the story. <laughs> All right. So, um, so I'm going to tell you about Procter and Gamble, which is one of the companies okay. that I highlighted in the book. P&G was um, was started in the uh, early 1800s by two men who married sisters. One made candles, um, and one wait, made wait, and their future. That yeah. just sounds like a start of a joke. I'm just saying that just sounds like a start of a joke. But go ahead. <laughs> well, kind of is. Um, but the, their future father-in-law said, boys, what are you doing? Join a company. Quit competing for wax and join a company. So P&G was born. Well, one of their founding principles was that every product and service that they would develop, they would develop by asking customers what's on their mind. That's how they would understand what products to develop, how to market them. Well, early on, um, when soap was really becoming popular, people loved soap. But what they did was they complained about soap because when you used it in the bathtub, it always fell to the bottom of the bathtub and you'd have to search around. You couldn't find it. So they developed um, ivory soap. And the tagline was a soap that 
floats. Still the tagline of today and ivory soap is still around. And by the mid 1800s, P&G was a million dollar company. And you can look back through their entire history, whether it's world wars, a great depression, a pandemic, they develop products and services that are Man, relevant. I, got, I got your tagline for you. I got a tagline for you, Meredith. When people say, what okay. do you do? You just say, I help you float your soap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an angle, right? Look, I help you float yourself. What does that mean? Then you tell them the story. I help you grow your business, find ways to differentiate oh. yourself. You said two things that are really interesting. The first one is um, you talked about going back and securing your base, right? And one of the things I preach, and I, it's what you're preaching, is that upsell your existing client base. You've already sold them once. Mm-hmm. Depending on which study you read, some say you can increase your revenue by almost 30% by just going to your existing wow. customer base. But the, the subset of that is that there's deactivated clients, inactive clients, who you bought but haven't bought for a while. That's also kind of going back to your base. And then I really love what yes. you said. It's like sometimes you're trying to figure out how to sell to them. Go ask them. I love when you said that. Go talk to exactly. them. It's, oh. it's too simple. It's too yeah. simple. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, what I love about it is they're going to tell you, like, they're going to give you a language. And the reason, and that language is what's going to attract new business, right? Because the same thing that your existing customers are complaining about are the same thing that prospects are. And they're looking for who has the answer. People do not do business with you because they understand your business. They do business with you because you understand mm-hmm. them. And the only way to understand them is to and talk I, and to And I love them. when you say language. I used to just skip over that word. When people say, hey, you got to speak their language. I was like, man, it's a good throwaway phrase. But I've come to appreciate what that really means, that you say things like they mm-hmm. say, but also in the context and the meaning that ha- goes behind it and really understand. That allows you to do the messaging piece. Does that make sense? Yes, it, it, com- it completely makes sense. And it is probably the biggest mistake that I'm seeing businesses make today is that they're, we're so worried about getting business that we're out there positioning ourselves the way we've always positioned ourselves without backing up and taking Oh, I know. Step. I got to have you back. I'm just, there's a, a side note. So we can talk about LinkedIn. That's going to be another, that's going to be, yeah, that's going to be oh, another, by the way, Meredith is, is just happening when it comes to LinkedIn. And so that, that'll be another uh, conversation because there's so many questions I have for you on that. All right, Meredith, number six, I've, now we grow the business. Number six, what are we doing? We got to build our network because it's going to yeah. change our life. Is that um, successful um, leaders understand that in uncertain times, every problem, every challenge, every issue that you are facing, you're only one connection away from somebody who has the answer to that. But the only way to um, to get those answers is to build your network. I mean, you can't um, you can't call people when you have a problem or an issue. You've got to nurture that relationship uh, along. And um, and networking doesn't stop in times of uncertainty. In fact, it should it should come on and it should be something that you're teaching everybody in your organization. Um, to do. There are, um, I was working with a client based out of New York City, and there she is in New York. She can't run a business. She's got no way to put on a conference. And we just started, we went through a strategy to start tapping her network. She was on the hook for a huge hotel for half a million dollars, no way to get out of that contract. And every single connection we made put us one path closer to the point we found an attorney to get her out of the contract. We found the people to build the virtual um, conference. We found her office space in upstate Mm. New York all through the network. So I love people to understand that 
you're only one connection away from somebody who can help you solve an issue. I, or I like problem. what you said about reaching out to people, you know, also that, you know, don't reach out to people when you have a problem. Like I have a, a weekly dial I do. And a weekly dial is I call somebody in my network that I respect and, you know, who I consider a resource. And it freaks them out. I mean, I can tell it freaks them out because they're like, why are you calling? I go, I'm just calling to say hi. It's a social yeah. call. Now I stay, I start, hey, this is Victor. Antonio. This is just a social call. Don't want a thing. Was thinking about you. Just wanted to say hi. How's business going? And even towards the end, I suspect yeah. they're waiting for me to like ask for something. And I said, all right, well, got to go, Matt. Just want to see how you were doing. They're like, okay. <laughs> Do you do that? Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, it, it, it does make sense. And, and I think, you know, you were talking about LinkedIn just a minute ago. I think it's one of the most powerful ways to use social media these days is just to stay visible with people. Then when you do need something and at some point you will, um, they're going to be much more likely to, to help you. A network is so incredibly powerful. And I don't think we invest enough in helping people understand how. Yeah, I think, you know, it's almost like I wish somebody would come up with because we, you know, you're in the business, I'm in the business of speaking where everybody wants to connect with you, right? And sometimes you lose the important people in the mix because there's just too many people want to connect with you. And so, you know, what do you do, Meredith? May I, I'm asking you for advice now. This is me personally, and I forget my forget my fans, right? Just for me. Like, what do you do, like, you know, to really just make sure you stay in touch with the people on LinkedIn? You know, is there something you do differently? That's all I'm asking. Yeah, I mean, I have a, um, I've got a daily uh, dial. So, pr- so pretty much every morning, if you came home with me and you got up with me in the morning, first thing as you notice, I look nothing mm-hmm. like this, but, um, but, uh, I decide who I'm going to make a couple of sales calls on that day, but I also decide who I'm going to reach out and touch. And I always pick two. So I have somebody that if I have time that day, like tonight, I've got to drive to Charlotte, North Carolina. So I've already picked two calls of somebody I'm going to reach out on. But if it's a press day, I might just say, I want to reach out and I want to comment on this person's LinkedIn Mm -hmm. message, or I want to make sure I share something from them. So I basically, I've got to, you know, I have my drip campaign of sales calls, a hundred people that I stay with every year from a sales perspective, but I keep a list of, um, 49, I've not quite pushed it over 50, of people that um, from a networking perspective that I want to stay connected to and I want to yeah. stay visible. And I'll just throw in a few hours there and there. But I, I treat it like brushing my teeth or exercising. It's something I have mm-hmm. to do every and, day. And I think it's that simple, right? Just a simple outreach call, especially when you don't need anything. And, and, I, and I love the fact that you're just using LinkedIn. Sometimes it doesn't even have to be an outreach. It could be a comment or a like or a share on some posting that they had. It's that simple. So I love that. All right. Building my network. I'm on the move. Seven. All right. So we've been so we've been talking about people and the and the people that are most important um, in this are um, is your team. And you've got to invest in your team. Strengthen your team is our next um, is our next strategy. There is so little you can control in today's um, uh, marketplace. But I was doing a um, I was doing a podcast early this morning with a with a company in Munich, and they were really obsessed with leadership in uncertain times and what do leaders do. And um, we talked about the relentless vision. We talked about some of these things, but one of the biggest things that leaders do is they get the very few things they can control. One is the quality and level of their team. And you have to strengthen the team around you. And that means you've got to build a culture where you give people ownership 
and engagement. I call it leading through the power of the question rather than tell direct. If I came in and said, Victor, we've got to, you know, build our sales by 20%, you may buck that or, you know, go at it half-heartedly. But if I came to you and said, we're in troubled waters, I need to increase sales by 20%. What are your ideas? What are Mm. your thoughts? Um, What do you think we ought to do? Once people have voice and responsibility, they have skin in the game. And so another issue that I see is leaders just aren't allowing the people around them to help them grow the business. In uncertain times, we can't give people certainty. You can't guarantee them a job. You can't guarantee them you know, that, um, that the business is going to be stable. You can't. But what you can give them is the ability to help you make that business and, and successful. And I think that right there, the, the whole asking the question, letting them help you, requires a leader to, one, be humble, have a detached ego, and ask for help, right? And a lot of leaders, I'm going to say a lot, I don't want to generalize, but leaders have problems with that at times. And I think to be able to let go of that a little bit, you know, have, you know when you train or work with leaders, you know, how do you teach them to be more, because tra- the fear is being too transparent. I'm going to scare the bejesus out of them. I don't want to be too transparent. Victor, I can't tell them everything. I don't want to scare them. I mean, how do you manage that? Yeah, it is, it's about managing the relentless vision with the transparency. I mean, it is that you have to let them know you have hope, that you see a future, that this is where you're going to wind up. At the same time, you need to pull the curtain back and say, but I'm, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to show you the obstacles in the way. And if you don't do both, People won't believe in you and they won't trust you. But the way that I get leaders to do this is we play a little game and I'll tell them to just take one day out of their week, just one day. And everything that somebody asks of you that day, you have to turn around and say, that's a great question. What do you think we ought to do? Because in uncertain times, what we want to do is make everybody safe and we want to come in and control. But it's the worst thing we can do in this type of marketplace. One, because you can't handle the stress. Two, because you don't have all the ideas. And three, you're going to shut down the productivity of your team. But leading through the power of the question is a tough flip. So if I ask them to do it one day, they kind of have fun with it, but it's amazing how much they struggle. But after that one day, they come back and they're like, oh, my God, yeah. that was amazing. I what I love about what you're just saying is that when you start asking, the leader starts executing, you know, what do you think we should do? every variation of that, right? Yeah. Is that now the person, next time they bring a problem to the CEO, before they bring the problem, a new habit will form. I said, well, if I take it to him, all he's going to do is ask me, what would I do? So I might as well think of that right now before I go over there and do it. Yeah, ex- exactly. That's what happened to me in corporate America. Is I worked for a man that to this day remains my favorite boss and the most frustrating human being <laughs> I've ever about worked for. Sounds about right. Because every time I went to his office, that was his response. I don't know, Meredith, what do you think we ought to do? But when he got promoted to corporate center, I realized we didn't need him anymore because he had taught us to think. He not taught us to lead. He taught us to think. And that is the hardest thing to teach people how to do. But if you solve all their problems, they are Mm. never going to think. No, Not no. even your That's type the, the whole theory X, theory Y. You know, command and control versus delegation. You get yep. it. All right. Take me home. Eight before we get to number nine. Eight. All right. So eight and nine kind right. of rock and roll together. So we can sort of put these together. So um, number eight is to shed fast and keep moving because the business that you started with is not going to be the business that you end with. The marketplace is moving way too fast. And you've got to realize that in an uncertain marketplace, the majority of the shifts are happening outside of your organization. So you need an objective way to really ask yourself what's working in the business, what isn't, and what do we need that we don't 
have because the the business that you did in first quarter, those strategies may not work in second, may not work in third, may not work in fourth, and probably won't work for the next year. But if you're not objectively looking at the business, you can't shed fast and keep moving. And I've got another tool for that called a seeds, mm-hmm. a weeds, and a need. And seeds are simply, what are you doing that's working? What do you need to mm. double down on? What really makes in the last quarter. Weeds are what's choking you up, what's holding you back, what's taking the business backwards. And what do you need that you don't have? I like that. And just Ooh, running like a team like through a I love it. Oh, I love it. It's just, yeah, because, it, because the truth is we all mm. have weeds mm-hmm. that need to go. We are not aware of the seeds that are really moving the business forward. And then we're not taking the time to think about what we need. What do you think is, if you look at those three, Meredith, if you look at those three, seeds, weeds, and needs, uh, which one do you see as the biggest obstacle to growth when you look at a company that you're trying to help? If you had to pick one. Yeah, I think if I had to pick one, it's weeds. It's that um, it's that people are continuing to do things that are So is that how you define weeds? Things aren't working. Yeah. Yeah, it's you know what's holding you back. Because I mean, I'll give you an example of my own business. Is that um, is that at the at the beginning of the year, um, I was just really trying to reach out and help a lot of um, a lot of my customers, and then a lot of my friends, as we started to hit uncertainty, would call and want my time. And when I looked back on the quarter, what I what I found was I was really busy mm. helping people, but I was not busy mm. generating revenue. So what I needed to quit doing was spending so much time trying to help my friends figure this out. I needed to create space for that, but I needed to spend more time on the things that were really moving my business forward, such as talking with existing customers. So what I needed that I didn't have was I started color coding my calendar and green and light green were revenue generation. Red was for transformation because I wasn't spending any time really mm-hmm. figuring out how to transform my business. And everything else was peach. And it made me really protective of my calendar with generating revenue and um, transforming my business. And I was still able to do the things I wanted to do and helping my friends, but it wasn't dominating my business. It wasn't was, taking was that, my Was that hard backwards. for you, by the way? Was that hard to begin to say No. No, it, I mean, maybe I'm just mean, but it gave me such a pattern to do it. Like if you would call me, I would be automatically, oh, say, sure, Victor, you know, I'll talk to you on Wednesday. But now I was able to look at my calendar and go, Victor, I'm totally slammed. Can I talk to you next Tuesday at four? Could we do it? And what I found was nobody else expected to mm-hmm. talk to me immediately. I was putting that expectation on myself. So I, I just love this because... I also don't think we pay enough attention to what really got you traction last month, what really started to move the business forward. And if you're not having that awareness, you don't know, you don't stay in productive mode. It's so easy to be busy and uncertainty. You know, I, I love the fact productive. that you say it's like, you know, the, the, what a psychologist call it, the fundamental attribution error. When you project what other people want or you think they want and you realize they yes. don't want you right now. Next week is just fine. So that's a way of saying, you're not saying no. You just said not now un- until I handle my business. Yes. First. I love that. Yeah. And, I, and most people, when I started telling them how I color coded my calendar, most people were like, oh, my gosh, that's brilliant. I need to do that, too. So, you know, so, so they, weren't, they weren't only not only put off by it, but they were like, that's I'm a great idea. I'm just blown away at times. I got to be honest. I'm just blown away at times where it's such a simple tool, right? And people are like, oh, my God, oh. I've never thought. Wow. <laughs> It's like, well, 
It's between us. That's hilarious. All right. Take me home to number nine, Meredith. So number nine is just rinse and repeat. It's the fact that this strategy is fluid and it needs to be done over and over um, uh, again. Um, and you need to start back at the top. I believe there's three um, phases as you go through uncertainty. There's the stabilization phase. Where you just have to you know, embrace what you're going through. There's a growth phase that in the uncertainty you can grow. And then there's the transformation phase. When the uncertainty is over, the business has to look different. Mm-hmm. And you're going to need to use nine, all nine of these steps as you go yeah. through each phase of, um, of, of any crisis. And when I talk about uncertainty, I'm talking about increases in regulation, competition moving down the street, you know, a wildfire or, um, you know, or some type of economic depression. It can be anything, but these yeah, nine it's strategies really interesting because, you know, stabilization is the big one. We need to stabilize things first. And it's, that's, that's us trying to bring, bring some certainty to what we have. Right. And yes. then we can start thinking about, okay, now how do we grow what we have? And then your vision, which was really your number one, which is how do you pull yourself into the future to where you, how you want to be? I, I love that. I love the roadmap. It's a, I, the skeptic thing. I think was brilliant. By the way, I'm just highlighting stuff I really like. I like the skeptic thing. If you forgot what it was, go back and listen to this podcast again or watch it. Not giving you everything, uh, but even the memory dump part where you get get it out, you label it, and then what you control, not control. I mean, it's it's interesting how it's not complicated, is it? it but you said no, it, it, no. takes, it takes, and this is let's let's bring it full circle. Where you say it takes a code of ethics, morality, your whatever your your value system is. If that isn't defined, you get lost. And let's end, let's end on that note. Add some flavor yes. to that one. Yeah, is 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 one of the things that I see people make do in uncertainty is is we get so worried that either we freeze and we shut down. Or we start grasping at anything. I say, oh, Victor's doing this. Mark Hunter's doing this. I must need to do this in my business. And it's not true. I think that these strategies are very simple, but it's not easy because it takes courage and the courage to believe that you are going to come out the other side successful. And that comes down to the only difference between people who succeed and who don't is where they focus their time and energy. I love that. I think that's amazing. It's not money. It's not luck. It's not resources. It's not anything. But can you control your mind enough to focus on what you can control? Because that will lead that you right to the path. That right there, piece of matter between your ears is the, is your biggest enemy. If once you learn how to manage this thing up here, yeah. stabilize it, help it grow, and then again transform, you're good. But it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. Meredith, hard. let these folks know where they can find out more about you. Uh, give me your one minute. Here's who I am. Here's what you should go look at. So I am Meredith Elliott Powell. You should go to my website, valuespeaker.com, just the terms valuespeaker.com. If you go there and hit the purple bar at the top called Emerge Successful, you will find a litany of free tools and resources, including this nine-step formula of how to thrive in an uncertain marketplace. You'll also find my Thrive Indicator Quiz, and you can find out where you fall on the if scale of success. If companies want to bring you in, because I would, if companies want to bring you in, like who, is, who are your, who's your ideal client or profile. Can you give me some of that before we close out? Yeah. So I don't work in particular industries. That used to be my client avatar. I work with CEOs and leaders who are successful, who are looking to take it to another level. So they have had success, but they believe there is more. And I'm a business growth expert, but that entails everything from strategy to sales 
to leadership. What do we need to do? What do we need to focus on in order to take your organization to the next level? So if you are in a position where you have been successful, but you believe there's more, I am your You are the go-to. So even if you're a small business owner or a large enterprise company, you're the go-to. I love the Nice Step program. And thank you, Meredith, for being on the Sales Influence Podcast. And that is it for the Sales Influence Podcast. Leave me some feedback on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Pandora, or wherever you find this interview. Also, check out Meredith's webpage. Really dig into her content. Check out her videos. You'll love the content. And after you that, go to the Sales Velocity Academy. You'll find some of my courses there. And on that note, Meredith and I thank you. And we both agree that selling is hard when you know how. Take care, people.